than him. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, let me invite you to look with me in Matthew chapter 9 this morning. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to be at the very end of it. We're continuing in our, uh, what we're calling the WIN series, W-E-N, WIN. That's kind of this idea as we're looking at the focus that we should have as a church. Mount Zion, so you as an individual member of Mount Zion, us as a corporate body, what are some things that we should be focusing on? Again, these are not all-encompassing things, but these are signposts. If you see some of these things that we're talking about in this series, and you say, I don't really know how I'm doing that in my life, or I don't know how I'm contributing to us as a church body doing that, then that should be a bit of a warning to you that maybe there's something lacking that shouldn't be. Uh, In worship of God as an individual, in corporate worship, is this something that you participate in, that you take part in, that you joyfully help to enhance here in Mount Zion. Uh, Evangelism, which is what we're talking about last week and today, right? Are you personally sharing the gospel with lost people? Are you helping us as a body be better about sharing the gospel with lost people? And then nurturing one another, which is what we'll talk about uh, in the coming weeks. But this idea of discipling each other, holding each other accountable, encouraging one another, saying kind words to one another, teaching the Bible to one another. Are you doing these things? If we as a church do not focus on these things, then I think that we have big, glaring, obvious areas that we need to work on. I think it goes the same for us as individuals as well. So last week when we began this two-week part looking at evangelism, I I did begin by giving a bit of a definition, and I want to make sure that they we're all on the same page. What, what do I mean when we talk about evangelism? So we, we're talking about any instance of sharing the gospel with a lost person in hopes that they would become saved, right? Any, so if that is what we'd usually call personal evangelism, right? You're going door to door or you're just sharing with a friend or somebody telling them about Jesus, that's evangelism. But for us in this large, uh, broad category, This would encompass our missions efforts as well. So whenever we go on short-term mission trips, whenever we help give to sustain or pray for missionaries that are on the field career-wise, these all these things, opportunities of sharing the gospel in hopes that lost people will be saved. This is what we're talking about. So I want to begin by reading our text. It's a short text that we have today. I want to read the text for us. And then I'll give you kind of the three big things we're going to look at in this text. But Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. Matthew tells us, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As we look at this text today, this is kind of the way we're going to approach it. First of all, I want us to look at verse 35 and see what is it that Jesus did, right? We recognize as Christians that we are named after Christ, that we are people that are supposed to be honing our lives to look like the life of Jesus Christ. So this is our goal. When we see Jesus doing something, we want to try and do that. So we're going to look, what is it that Jesus is doing here? Then we're going to see in verse 36 why Jesus is doing that. 
We're going to see his motive, or at least part of the motive that he has for what he's doing. And then we're also going to see what does that look like in practice in our life. How do we apply this? How do we put this into place? So let's start out with that first one. What did Jesus do? And in verse 35, I want to read it again, just that one verse. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So what is Jesus doing here? It's kind of threefold as Matthew gives it to us. He's teaching He's proclaiming and he's healing. These are the things that he's, he's doing. Now, this verse is found almost verbatim in Matthew 4.23. And so this is something that Matthew highlights for us multiple times. These are things that Jesus is doing. Now, I'm telling you that I believe that we should be doing the things that Jesus is doing. One immediate question that may come up is, So, Brother Zach, are you saying that I should be able to go throughout... Mount Zion and heal every disease and every affliction. I'm not telling you that. I'm not saying that the healing, the miraculous healing ministry of Jesus is something that I think that we can all take on. Now that's a discussion for another day, but what I do want us to pay specific attention to are the two parts of this that I do think we're specifically called to. And that is Jesus' teaching and Jesus' proclaiming. So what are we talking about here where it says that Jesus is teaching? Well, my favorite commentator on the, the book of Matthew, a guy named R.T. France, he, he explains that what this would be is Jesus doing biblical exposition. So much what I try to do on Sunday mornings, this was Jesus reading Scripture and then explaining what that scripture meant to the people. This is what Jesus is doing. He's going into the synagogues. We see an example of this whenever he picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads and then he tells them that this is proclaimed in your sight today, right? Jesus is reading scripture to people and he's explaining that scripture to people in a way that helps them to understand what it means. And I believe that this is something that not just pastors that not just staff members, that not just Sunday school teachers, but I believe that this is something that we are all called to be able to do. Now, obviously, at differing levels, some people are more gifted at teaching than others, but brothers and sisters, to say that you have been a Christian for 10 or 20 or 30 or longer years, but that you can't read part of what the Bible says and help somebody understand that, I think is us missing a great opportunity, right? So if you're a Christian, I believe that we should also be teaching, and our teaching should always be directly tied to the Scriptures. Not our opinions, not what we want it to say, but what the Bible tells us we need to be doing. But Jesus was not just teaching, right? He's going throughout the cities and villages. He's teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming and you see what he's proclaiming? He's proclaiming the gospel. Now, some of your translations there say good news, right? It says that he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and that's okay because gospel means good news. I know it's a church word that we use all the time, the gospel, and we sing about the gospel, and we talk about the gospel. It literally means good news. Whenever we say the gospel... We're talking about the good news that Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth, right? He is God and He has always been, and He left heaven and came to earth, and He lived a perfect life, 
And he died an atoning death where he, he paid the penalty for our sins. And then he came back to life and he's in heaven and one day he's coming back. And every one of us that has faith in him, that proclaims him as Lord and calls on him to be Savior, will be saved. Our sins are forgiven. We'll live with him forever. That is good news. It is not just good news. It is the good news. And so we just simply refer to it as the gospel. Here it says the gospel of the kingdom, right? The good news of the kingdom. What's the good news of the kingdom? Well, Jesus was clear about that. Jesus, whenever he began his ministry, he told them that the kingdom of God has come. The good news is that the kingdom has come and Jesus has made it available to everyone. That is the good news of the kingdom as I understand it. So Jesus here comes to the people, and he, he opens the Old Testament, right? Because Matthew had not written this gospel account at that point in time, right? Paul had not written his letters at that point in time. So Jesus opens his Bible, which was the Old Testament, and he reads the Scripture, and he explains it to people. And whenever I first realized that Jesus' Bible for his whole life was the Old Testament, and only the Old Testament, that was eye-opening to me. Because, brothers and sisters, it reminds us that all of the Scriptures, when correctly seen, point us to Jesus. And he read those Scriptures, and he taught those Scriptures, and he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom to people. And I believe that these are things that we are called to do as well. So point one is this, Jesus shared the truth. Jesus shared the truth. He did it through the teaching of the word. He did it through the proclaiming about the kingdom. But Jesus shared the truth with people. The truth that, that they were sinners and that they needed to be saved. That he was the way that they could be saved. Right? Jesus told them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus taught these things. Jesus proclaimed these things. Jesus showed these things to lost people that needed to hear these things. And he calls us to do it as well. Calls us to follow his example. Alright, so I think most of us understand that Jesus taught the Bible and that Jesus proclaimed the gospel. But I do, I think that verse 36 is an extremely compelling verse. Because what it does is it gives us a glimpse into the heart and mind of Jesus. Right, very much in the way that John 3.16 does, right? It tells us uh, the love that God has for us and how that's displayed, but such a compelling verse. I think that Matthew 9.36 is very much the same because it shows us why it is, at least part of the reason why it is that Jesus did this work. It says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I read it, and you said, that doesn't seem as compelling as you made it sound like, but just stick with me here for just a minute. The crowds here would be referencing lost people, right? We understand that because these are people that are like sheep without a shepherd. Those without a shepherd are those that don't know Christ. So Jesus sees these large groups. He sees these groups of lost people, and he doesn't see them as an annoyance, and he doesn't see them as a hindrance, and he doesn't see them as something that gets in his way. But what he does instead is he has compassion for them. And that word is a meaningful word. Whenever it says that Jesus had compassion, it's not just talking about a feeling. For us, we think that compassion 
as a feeling, right? It's kind of like empathy, right? He, he felt bad for them. It's kind of the idea that at least I think most of us get whenever we read that Jesus had compassion for them. It's more than that, though. It does include a feeling. It's this feeling that Jesus saw them and he hurt for them. But it's more than just that. The idea here is that Jesus inside, right, like in his gut, had this reaction whenever he saw their hurting that he wanted to do something to help fix their hurting. That's, that's this idea. It's this idea of something deep inside of you being turned and stirred for these people. So it's, it's really not, Jesus felt bad for them. This is not saying, verse, verse 36 does not say, when Jesus saw the crowds, he said, bless their hearts. That's not what's taking place here. What's taking place is that Jesus was moved inside to help these people no longer be hurting people. So it's not that he, he felt pity for them, but it's that he had pity on them in the sense that he moved in a way that would help remove their suffering from them. It's a deep and meaningful word. And we see it in the sense that Jesus felt so much compassion for us, felt so much mercy. It's another way this word is often translated. So, so much mercy and so much compassion that he didn't just stay in heaven and say, man, that's terrible, all those lost people, but he left there and came here. And then being here, gave himself for us, died in our place, because whether we recognize it or not, at one point, we were all part of the crowds. We were all lost people that were like sheep without a shepherd. And that's why, so that's what compassion means, but then it also tells us why. Why did he have compassion? Why did he have this gut reaction? Why was he so moved to help these people? And it says, because, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now that, the imagery of that is lost on us a little bit, I understand, right? We're not shepherds, we're not uh, pastoral people, I understand that. But if you can just for a moment try to imagine this idea, right? And we always epitomize them this way, whether it's fair or not. I've never had sheep. But people say sheep are dumb, right? And sheep, they don't know where to go, and they can't find food on their own, and they, they don't go to water on their own well, and they have no defense, right? They cannot defend themselves against anything. And so if you think of this this cute animal, because sheep are cute, right? Y'all agree? Sheep are cute. Right, so they're cute, and they're fluffy, and they're helpless. And they're going to starve to death. They're going to dehydrate. They're going to be eaten by wolves because they don't have a guide. They don't have a leader. They don't have a protector. And it's a, it's a sad thing to think about. And that's how Jesus sees these lost people. He sees lost people as somebody that have nobody to lead them. Nobody to tell them right from wrong. Nobody to help them give guidance to their life and understanding about who they should be and what they should be doing and what things they should be investing in and what things are important. Nobody to give them freedom from sin. Nobody to protect them against the lies of the world. Nobody to give them peace whenever they feel anxiety. None of these things. Lost people have none of these things. Because they don't have Jesus. Where in contrast, as Brother Graham sang about, and as uh, Brother Lance has read scripture about, and as we together have read about, this idea that we do have a shepherd. 
Right? We say he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. What does that mean? It means that Jesus gives us all the things that we need. Right? Jesus, through his word and through the Holy Spirit, helps us to know right from wrong. He gives us strength to overcome sin. He he cares for us. He gives us one another. Right? I have you to help give me accountability in my life. I have you to help me to understand Scripture. He shows us love. He gives us peace. He gives us lives that are full of hope. That's what it looks like to live life with a shepherd. But lost people have none of those things. They're vulnerable. And that's the wording that we see here. They are completely vulnerable, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, people without a guide. And so point two is this. Jesus showed compassion. Jesus shared the truth, and Jesus showed compassion. When he saw these people, probably the first instinct that, ha- that some of us have is more like the first two guys that see the guy laying in the ditch in the parable of the Good Samaritan, and it's to just kind of go around lost people. Right? There's somebody at work, there's a co-worker, there's somebody in your family, and they are an addict, And you know it and everybody else knows it. And we see these people and we say, man, that's messy. Right? These folks are are stuck on these pills or they don't know how to to deal with alcohol well. Or they, everybody knows that they're dealing with this addiction to pornography. And the, the easiest thing in a worldly sense is to just sit idly by and just kind of go around them. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't look at lost people and say, that's too messy, I'm just not going to be part of it. Jesus doesn't look at lost people and get annoyed by it, because that's another thing that we do a lot of times. We say, man, these people are so terrible. If I just didn't have to deal with all these lost people, with all these sinners, if they weren't in my life, things would be so much better. Jesus doesn't do that either. Jesus looks at these people and he feels for these people. And he wants to help make their situation better. And so he goes to them. And he teaches them the things that they don't understand. And he proclaims to them the things that they've never heard. And he tells them that they need to have a Savior. And he tells them who the Savior is. He helps them to understand what the Scriptures say about what their life should look like. He offers them what they need most. And again... This is not just describing Christ. This is giving an example to us. I pray that you don't look at lost people and say, Oh, those people are terrible. But instead you say, Oh, if only they knew Jesus. Right? I cannot fix their addictions. I cannot fix their sins. I cannot make their habits better. But I know somebody that can. So we don't go to them and beat them over the head. Right? We don't go to them and be mean to them. What we do too is patiently and gently... Show them a better way. There is a better way. I also fear that sometimes we, and I talk about us Christians, committed Christians, I I fear that sometimes we forget how prevalent lostness is. In Lincoln County, in Kapaya County, and worldwide. I think it's easy for us who's, Maybe our families are all Christians, and we're all Christians, and our friends are all Christians. And so I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget 
what the vastness of lostness in this world really looks like. How deep and dark it is and how widespread it is. So I have for you this morning a video. I don't know that I've ever shown a video during a sermon before, but this is, this is from the IMB Sending Celebration. I'm just, you're just going to see three of the families that went out as career missionaries this year. And I want you to listen to the places that they're going, but I also want you to listen to this, why it is that they're going. These people have compassion. I feel that they're compelled in much the same way that Christ was. They have compassion, and they tell you why they have compassion. So listen to that, and then after they're done, there's just a brief clip with Dr. Paul Chitwood. He's the president of the IMB, and he'll give us some stats, some very sobering statistics that will help drive home the vast expanse of lostness in the world that we are. So if you would watch this video. After being called in college and serving with IMB missionaries in Japan, I learned what real lostness looked like in a country that wanted nothing to do with God. Japan has some of the highest rates of depression and hopelessness. Our calling is to evangelize in colleges and on street corners about who Jesus is. And God has truly equipped us, not only in church experience at Lane Prairie Baptist in Texas, but also at Southwestern Seminary. Please pray for us as we are sent to share the hope that can only be supplied by Jesus Christ. Hi, my name is Catherine from the Summit Church in North Carolina. I'm being called to South Asia where I will disciple and train local believers to bring the gospel to their own people. I have a heart for helping women who have experienced trauma and hardship see themselves as God's beloved daughters. Sadly, most women in South Asia are lost and hurting, not knowing that the one who brings healing and redemption is waiting for them. Pray for me as I build relationships and learn a new language. Thank you. We are Jameson and Andrea from Emmaus Church in Missouri. Our hearts beat for the Muslims of South Asia to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Lord has now turned our gaze to a desert region the size of the state of Iowa and a population of 32 million who know little to nothing of Christ and His kingdom. Pray that we would abide in Jesus as we labor and that the Lord would establish a church in every village and town in the coming years. We exist to get the gospel to where the gospel has not been heard. We exist as a convention of churches. We exist as a missionary sending arm of your church to get missionaries to the nations because there are yet 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. We exist because of those 7,000 unreached people groups. There are yet 3,000 that have remained unengaged. What does that mean? That means simply that two days ago as... Sunday unfolded. If you were a part of one of those unreached and unengaged people groups, there was nowhere you could have gone among your people to hear the gospel preached in a New Testament church. It would have been very unlikely had you walked across your community, your city, your village, that you would have run into a missionary who was there to talk to you about your greatest problem and to share with you God's great solution to your greatest problem because the missionaries aren't there yet that 157,690 people will die lost today. That means in Revelation 20, they will be cast into the lake of fire. And it is an eternal state. Hell is real. And hell is eternal. 
7,000 people groups that have been unreached. 3,000 people groups in the world where there are no New Testament churches, no known established missionary communities. And that last number is a number that he, he has had. It's an estimate, obviously. But looking at global death rate, looking at lostness, looking at statistics of people and their religious affiliation, that 157,000 lost people die in the eternal state of lostness to be bound for hell forever every single day. And I don't think about that often. I know that not many of you probably think about that often. But brothers and sisters, that's the state of the world around us. There are more lost people than there are Christians, right? The, the road is broad and wide and full of people that are headed for destruction. That's what the Bible tells us. And it's narrow, the road that's headed to serve and to be with God forever in heaven. And I pray that we don't miss that. And I pray that, that if you're truly a Christian... And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you that this morning that you can't hear that there are 7,000 people groups that are unreached with the gospel and that 157,000 people die lost every day and say, oh well, that does not matter to me. I pray that we cannot hear that and not be moved with compassion to not only care for those people but to try to do something to change their eternal state. So the question is, what can we do? And Christ turns his attention to that. Matthew nine thirty seven. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So this has all been background to this point, right? We see what Jesus was doing. We see why Jesus was doing it. But here we get to the, the emphasis of the teaching where Jesus is actually telling his people what to do. And I love that Jesus sees here the vastness of lostness that we were just talking about, that we just heard about, that he sees that as an opportunity, right? The, 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 the amount of lost people really is a terrible thing and it's also a great opportunity for the gospel to go forth there are so many people that have not heard the gospel that could respond to the gospel that the holy spirit could convict of their sin if they hear the gospel if they hear this truth and so he says the harvest is plentiful there's so many people that need to hear this truth there's so many people that need to be taught god's word so what do we do he says pray that we can pray earnestly why because the laborers are few there are not many that are going and i'm not just talking about like these folks that are going to south asia the folks that had to stand behind the screen instead of in front of the screen because we can't show their face on a video because of the places that they're going to share the gospel now not many are going there but i want to be honest not many people are going to the park in brookhaven and not many people are going to the school in Brookhaven with the intent to say, I'm going to share the gospel with lost people. We're not doing that like we should. The harvest is plentiful, but brothers and sisters, the laborers are few. So he says, pray. Pray earnestly. Right? Pray with fervor. Pray with conviction to God who is the Lord of the harvest. To God who can convict people of their lostness. To God who can save people, pray to Him and pray that He would send out, that He would raise up and send out more laborers. 
Jesus says, pray this, and he says, pray this earnestly. And so for some of us, that's a bit of a relief. Right, we're talking about evangelism here, and we're talking about the vastness of lostness, and we're talking about how many people are in such a terrible state. And then I say pray, and you say, okay, if all we're talking about here is praying, then I think I'm, I'm better than I thought, brothers, I thought you were going to try and, and tell us that we needed to go and tell people. But look in the very next chapter, probably the same page for you. Chapter 10, verse 5. These same disciples that Jesus says pray to, it also says this. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no towns of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and listen to what Jesus tells them to do, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Point three, the last point is Jesus said pray and Jesus sent them out. You see, it's not this idea of, of either or. Either I can pray for people or I can go as a missionary. No, the part that was already understood is that Jesus' disciples would go. Right? That the Great Commission has been given to all of us. Go and make disciples of all nations. Right? Acts 1.8. That we will receive power when we receive the Holy Spirit and that we will be His witnesses here all the way to the ends of the earth. That's for all of us. That's already understood. And it's on top of going, also pray. So we're already going. At least we should already be going. And on top of that, pray. It's a both and. Pray and go. And I would add and give, which is an option that we have to be able to support missionaries that are already on the field. But pray and give and go. Why? Because the world is full of people that are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The world is full of people that are suffering in sin and suffering under the condemnation of sin, that are hurting, that feel like they don't know where to turn, so they listen to the world that tells them to turn to all kinds of things that they don't need to turn to. But we know the truth. We know the gospel. We know what they need to hear. And so Christ has called us to do these things. Jesus shared the truth. He did. Jesus shared the truth. And Jesus showed compassion. And Jesus said to pray, and Jesus sent people out. And so I ask you this morning, where are you lacking in these things? And if the, the lack that shows most in your life is the compassion, I would say we, we need to start there, right? That's the motive that should be driving all these other things. Our worship for God... I believe that God deserves the worship of all people in all places at all times. That every person in the world should be singing His praises because He deserves that. I believe that. And I pray that you believe that. That God is deserving of the worship of everyone. And so I go out of obedience and worship to God. But I also go out of compassion for lost people. Because I recognize if no one would have ever told me about Jesus, that would be me. I would be stuck in sin. My life would feel dark and hopeless. I would be bound for hell. Except God compelled somebody to share the gospel with me. 
And we need to be those people that are sharing the gospel as well. And we need to be praying fervently, earnestly praying that God would raise up more laborers for the harvest. So I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. And I don't know what God's using this to do for you. Maybe He's reminding you of the number of lost people around you and the need to share the gospel. Maybe He's calling you to missions in some sense. You don't know exactly what that looks like, but you have questions and would like to talk about it. I would love to talk to you about it. Opportunities that you have, things that you could do. Maybe today the Lord's just reminding you of how thankful you should be that you know the gospel, that somebody shared it with you. This morning we're going to have a time of response, and as we sing a couple of verses of this song, I just I ask you to respond however the Lord's leading to you. If you need to pray, if you need to make something public, if you just want to sing, you do what the Lord's calling you to as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of response.